1: entertainment is about to begin
0: now she will enter the world she always dreamed of you know i'd do anything for you where polite society here comes the famous mrs crawley i had thought her a mere social climber i see now she's a mountaineer is turning out to be anything but they will bully you and patronize you that's what you want i suppose And the higher she
1: climbs How do you like your new place?
0: My place? How kind of you to remind me
1: The harder it will be I cannot let that girl profit from her scheming The only thing of value in this life is to love Be loved To stay one step ahead of her past Tell him I'm innocent You? Innocent? I have not slaved for 40 years to see you marry
0: a beggar maid Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast The only podcast whose search history is safely monitored by a bespectacled Jennifer Garner Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that, once upon a time, had lofty Academy Award aspirations. But for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I am here, as always, with my uh, corseted, bewigged uh, <laughs> co-host, Joe Reed. Hi, Chris, I have a question for you. I have, hopefully, an answer for you.
1: How has your life changed since you have heard... Jim Broadbent, say hoity-toity right there in front of you on the screen.
0: We throw around a lot of jokes about ASMR, but that's certainly one of them.
1: So much of this movie, so many of the voices in this movie are very ASMR friendly. I think Eileen Atkins
0: talking about status in society. Ooh. Yeah, I also think uh, I'm glad you started because we'll definitely talk about the women of this movie. But like starting with the men of this movie, I just have to confess, I think Jim Broadbent is the only male actor in this movie that I don't have a facial blindness for. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Uh, well, Gabriel Byrne, Gabriel Byrne, but like he's Gabriel Burns at the very beginning of the movie, and then you don't see him until the end, so you kind of forget he's there. And but I would like... hope that, the,
1: that that holds true for Bob Hoskins as well. I I can't imagine you don't okay. recognize Bob Hoskins on site.
0: Well, maybe I'm just being exaggerative in that, like, I never can tell who Reese Ephens is, <laughs> and I can I feel, never yeah. tell who James Purifoy is either.
1: You you never watched Rome and it shows, is what I will say. Um, yeah. I think that's that was the cure for my James James Purifoy face blindness as well, because I get what you're saying, and that there was a generation of British leading men. I'm trying to think of like who else was in this, you know, sort of fraternity of uh, uh, at that time. I suppose like this was like the Ben Chaplin era. Yeah. Remember how like Ben Chaplin and Jim Caviezel were both in uh, Thin Red Line, and you were just like, I can't be expected to keep track (laughs) of both of them.
0: Every time that I see, uh. Mulholland Drive content on my timeline <laughs> and it's the scene with the woman in the back alley. That actor who faints by seeing her, I always think it's Ben Chaplin.
1: Oh yes. What is his name? Um Patrick Fischler. Yeah. Who is like T V guest star extraordinaire, just shows up in everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. To
0: be squirrely.
1: To be squirrely, absolutely. To be squirrely or to be like The butt of a joke. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Absolutely. Annoying waiter.
0: Or like creepy (laughs) librarian.
1: Or just like, yes, like TV executive who doesn't get it.
0: Yeah, totally. we appreciate your efforts. I think the Risa Fons thing, however, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say Risa Fons' last name. I think it's Efans, Efons.
1: Like, I think you, I think you hit the first syllable hardest on
0: it, but like, yeah. mostly, I think you're fine. I think my thing with him that it takes me halfway into a movie to realize that it's him is the Notting Hill thing where he's like a dirty bearded yeah. man. And I can't ever pinpoint him otherwise.
1: He's one who... Because he was also in that movie about um, the hot air balloon accident. Where We've talked he, about this before. Enduring yes. Love. Enduring Love. Or the Roger laugh. Michelle movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's... Like, he's real creepy in that. And I, I'll also... And this is more of a, like, you know, me thing than anything else. But, like, any movie that has more than one of... Reese Ifans, Jonathan Reese Myers, John Reese Davies, um, Reese Darby, or Matthew Reese is too much. I need to like really it's because the America has no like no concept of that name. And we right? are
0: talking, of course, this week about the most important Reese in the world. That is Reese Witherspoon. This is true. See, Reese Witherspoon spells it the correct American way. Is like the cup is the uh, the
1: you know, the little peanut butter cup yeah because america understands what candy
0: so truly she comes out on top i mean that is up for argument we will get into how much we like or dislike this movie or okay. her performance yeah. but based on the reviews of mira nair's vanity fair most it's people would like- tell you she did not come out on top of this movie
1: they were I. Rotten Tomatoes had it at a solid fifty-one, so like not fresh, but like could have been worse. I mean, I just I didn't re- hate this movie. I will say it's the I second did time not I've either. Like
0: I kind of I'm I'm glad I we get have why something... it didn't succeed. Yes. I
1: totally get why it did not succeed with the Oscars. But like I think this movie the the reputation of this movie, which feels like a little bit like like it's held up as a. Textbook case of a period adaptation going wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. I think it's. I think it's admirably ambitious in the certain in some ways. I think it holds my attention throughout two hours and twenty minutes, which like no mean feat. It's no Pride
0: and Prejudice, which like yeah, after like you're movie, not emotionally invested in this movie, right, and I right. do think it has a problem with like being able to tell characters apart and yes. what they have to yes. do with this like rapidly moving story agree but like i don't kind of understand the way that this movie was treated but we will get into it yes um but yeah we are here to discuss vanity fair directed by mira nair starring reese witherspoon um it is written by matthew falk and mark street um it was then once mira nair came on board um re-scripted by Julian Fellows. You can tell um, that, too, by the way. Yes. Like, the Julian Fellows of it all jumped out. Do you ever wonder if Julian Fellows just ever sits around in a safari hat and screams, I'm Julian Fellows?
1: <laughs> well, now you've given me a sound drop to go yeah. hunt for, so thank you for that. Um, no, uh, what I what I wonder is do, is... Um, Julian Fellows had to have some sort of domineering, snobby aunt in his family tree, right? Like, there's some sort of older woman who just cut everybody down to size at all times. And said and... the baby
0: will be named Julian.
1: <laughs> right. But then, like, viciously, nothing was ever good for her. And also, she was kind of a serve, but also, like, kind of a of a awful person. Where, like, everything... I don't know. Everything that he's written seems to, you know, Gosford Park has this, Downton Abbey has this, they're all played by Maggie Smith in this movie, they're played by Eileen Atkins, who I am close to saying that Eileen Atkins is the patron saint of our podcast, or at least, like, a patron saint. I feel like whenever we talk about a movie with her in it, she's among our favorite topics, and, like, I we haven't done this episode yet, but like get ready because she's gonna be one of my favorite topics in this movie.
0: I think like we go through phases and like we may be coming to the end of an Eileen Atkins phase of like who the patron saint is of our podcast. Like who was one of our early ones, wasn't it like Jennifer Goodwin or something? I don't know about Jennifer Goodwin because I can't remember anything else besides Mona Lisa's smile that she was in. I feel like we've like we lot... discussed her a lot. That's very possibly true. Anyway, um, yes, Eileen Atkins is wonderful in this movie. Obviously, it's from the Thackeray classic novel. Um, famously, this adaptation tried to make Reese Witherspoon's character, Becky Sharp, much more, finger quotes, likable. Yeah, less, get into less devious, that.
1: less schemey. Yeah,
0: I, uh, Joseph, we... Yes you, I think, rag on yourself certainly harder than I do as someone who does not read. I I famously cannot read. I have never read this novel so I have no opinion about this matter, but we will definitely discuss it because some of these reviews that I read it was definitely a sticking point for a lot of critics who were familiar with this classic. The changes that were made? Yes. Which it doesn't seem to me like it was plot changes. It was just like the like you could have almost chalked it up to performance rather than scripting but we'll get into it it has kind of a big cast a lot of them you might have facial blindness for um also gabriel byrne romola gary jonathan reese myers uh james purifoy we mentioned eileen atkins there's Reese fons uh jim broadbent bob hoskins ruth sheen in there for a hot minute i, love I had to, i sheen. had to pause and be like wait where do i know her from and then of course Another year, Ruth Sheen from Another
1: Year, which was a movie that the I divine love. Divine Ruth Sheen, Jim Broadbent, and Ruth Sheen together again, although not really because they never share a scene in this movie. But you know, yes.
0: But yeah, that is vanity. That is like the gist of Vanity Fair. It is a costume drama. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is our first like real costume drama we've talked about, or like what a, really what an audience member would categorize as like. Pure costume drama. Like, we've done things that are period, but we haven't right. really done anything where it's like that is at least the thrust of the movie into the Oscar race. And I think that's largely that's because. Wild. That's kind of true, though, right? Wow. Yeah, but we don't. The thing is about these kind of movies, there's not a whole lot of options for us to talk about because... Because
1: normally they'll get the, the random uh, costume nomination that will Yeah, we'll you have your then.
0: Affair of the Necklaces. You the have, Duchess. Yes, you have the Duchess. Um, so, like, yeah. it I'm... We'll definitely talk about costumes, too, but I'm surprised that Wait, this let me is go back a... through...
1: I want to go back through the costume design category just a little bit for, like, one second to, like, talk about... Just throw out some titles of things that we can't exactly talk about on this podcast because it got a stray costume design nomination. So, like... Didn't, like, the White Countess get one? Oscar and Lucinda costume design nomination. Beloved costume design nomination. That was my favorite. Do you remember that joke that Whoopi Goldberg made when she was, uh, Introducing the presenters for the costume category that year. Whoopi where... was on
0: fire that year. Whoopi That's was such uh, a that good was Whoopi's, Whoopi's gig.
1: best year. That was Whoopi's best year. Although she did a very good job in the two thousand one. Um, when she came out like...
0: in the Moulin Rouge outfit, yes, that was rad.
1: Underrated, very underrated Oscar. I think those were the ones that I put first when I ranked all the Oscar ceremonies for Polygon over Mm -hmm. the winter this year. But anyway, so 98 Oscars, she's introducing the presenters for Best Costume Design. And she comes out, that was the year where every costume change, she came out with a different, dressed differently, uh, a different nominee from Costume Design, right? So she had... Uh, she was dressed as the queen at the beginning she dressed as Pleasantville at one point she had the velvet gold mine outfit that whole thing so she comes out for Beloved dressed as a character from Beloved dressed as one of the slaves from Beloved and she sort of has this like bemused reaction and she goes to present the foreign language film award a legendary international screen beauty (laughs) it's great she gonna look phenomenal I'm out here looking like Topsy (laughs)
0: You, Debbie. I think we're the only ones who know top who a topsy is, child
1: she says something about somebody else dressed beautiful and she's like, and I'm out here looking like Topsy. And like, smattering of like titters or whatever. And she just looks at into the audience and she sees Debbie Allen. And she goes, thank you, Debbie. She goes, you're the only one out here who knows who Topsy is, child. And I was just <laughs> like, I love you, <laughs> over Goldberg, so much. And of course, like, Debbie Allen's there, like, getting her life. And you know, I mean, speaking of patron saints, like, Debbie Allen is my son and stars, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, Beloved is a movie that gets that movie out. Anna and the
0: King um the invisible woman which one was the invisible woman okay the invisible woman is uh who is Rafe Fiennes playing in this movie I think he's playing Dickens and Felicity Jones is his <laughs> mistress
1: oh right that movie I can't believe that is got he a nomination Dickens?
0: hold on I'm looking this up uh yeah he plays Dickens yeah you're right you're right
1: That's wild. I hadn't even thought of that one. Across the Universe, we can't talk about because of the costume design nomination. You
0: know, one movie I would kill to talk about, but we can't because it got a costume design nomination that everybody forgets about? What? W.E. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, W.E. Wow. Um, Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, The Tempest, W.E., like you said. Bright Star, which would be, yeah. I could just sort of, you know, rave about how great that was. You're right about The Invisible Woman. I had forgotten about that. Um, Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. I mean, Florence Foster Jenkins we can't, because of also it got a Best Actress nomination. Mm-hmm. Um Allied, you though, Troy?
0: Troy no, is one. No, Troy
1: is one. Allied is one. Victoria and Abdul is one. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. They're Mary Queen of Scots last
0: year. Mm-hmm. So costume design is a real field of landmines for us, I will say. Yeah, where it's like a lot of near misses of things that we could talk about. There's th- there's a few that come to mind, like becoming Jane. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I've like never, that's Fair the one is I haven't a, seen. Oh, Wait, I saw I that. It has James McAvoy's butt. No, you're right. I have seen that. Of course, yes.
1: How could you forget? Uh, how could I forget? Also, when you were du- when you were listing off the cast members, I wanted to make sure that you made note that Tom Sturridge plays. Um, the teenage version of Jonathan Rhys Meyers' son oh, yeah. in this movie, which like I could not imagine more perfect casting. There's a point where he says to to Becky, he's like, "Do I resemble my father?" And he strikes this most like, just the most Jonathan rees Meyers like prissy little like I know I'm hot
0: kind of a pose. And I was just like, "God damn it, this is good casting."
1: <laughs> truly, 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 I love Tom Sturridge. Anyway.
0: Vanity Fair, though, it opened Labor Day Weekend, which feels like a sign. Like, we talk about it less now, but Labor Day Weekend was considered, like, a dead zone for a while. It still kind of is. I mean, September kind of is. Like, September is not usually a good sign, particularly for Oscar. Maybe it was less so now, but, like, that's why this year I'm like, is anything really going to happen with the Goldfinch because of that release date? Right. I think it's better for genre stuff. I think with it, yes. they learned that like you can
1: premiere something that is, doesn't seem like a fall movie. That and... feels
0: like the kind of back-to-school, back-to-college movie yes. that is going to unite a certain age group to yes. go together with their new friends see something.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Turns out that movie is not Vanity Fair. <laughs> um, no. No. Um, but Vanity Fair like in the week before played the competition at the Venice Film Festival That's won true. nothing and then bombed when it opened and it, they opened this movie wide too they didn't Wild. platform it
1: what a, what a fit of hubris by, by m- my beloved focus features Yes, very. This focusing. was another one that was a big reason why I was really excited for this movie was Reese Witherspoon. I think I was excited by the prospect of Mira Nair doing a costume drama based on one of like the great English novels. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, and we'll talk about Mira Nair in a second. But that's a she's a director who I have always maybe liked in theory more than I like in practice. But this movie like shows me why I still keep that sort of hope alive, because like, even though this movie isn't fully successful, there are touches that she specifically brings to it that I think are really interesting.
0: And they're probably some of the most interesting thing about the movie. Yeah. But before we get into it, Joseph... Would yes. you like to give our lovely listeners a 60-second plot description? <sighs> yes, but, like, holy shit, you guys. Like, There are, like, yeah. full,
1: full detours in this movie that I might not even get
0: to, so... We're talking apologies. about a whole brick of a novel that yeah. probably most of the... The movie shoves most of it in there. Apologies to Ramala Gary in advance. Always apologies to Rama Gary. Yeah. Even though she's, like, famously apologetic in Atonement.
1: That is true. That's her whole thing in Atonement
0: can't say sorry enough times yeah she's very sorry for the loss that she has caused she is sorry for
1: 2007 in atonement
0: anyway joseph (laughs) are you ready to give a 60 second plot description of not atonement but vanity fair yes i am all right your time starts now
1: all right so there's this woman named becky sharp she's played by reese witherspoon she's the daughter of a poor painter who, um, she's, she goes to girl school, she leaves girl school, and attempts to then climb her way out of her social standing. She's thwarted from a courtship with the brother of her best friend Amelia, played by Romola Gary. She then takes a job as a governess for an old drunk lecher, played by Bob Hoskins. There she gains the favor of Hopkins's spinster sister, played by Eileen Atkins, who takes Becky to London, only to be left gobsmacked in her all together when Becky announces she's marrying Eileen's, she's already married, Eileen's handsome nephew Rodden, played by James Purefoy. Becky and Rodden are disinherited. They live one step ahead of debtor's prison in London, until Becky catches the eye of a wealthy aristocrat patron, played by Gabriel Byrne, in like, prime sinister mode, who introduces Becky to high society. Seconds. She dances in, a, in a, a ballet with, like, Indian overtones. When Rodden finds out about this, he dumps Becky, and then 12 years later, Becky comes back, and, and she sets time. Amelia a bit straight,
0: and she goes to India with Amelia's brother. You did decently well and probably because you fully cut Rama Laghari out of the equation.
1: There's a whole thing with Rama Laghari and Jonathan Rhys Meyers and he dies at the Battle of Waterloo and she is thwarted from raising her son. Her son goes to live with Jim Broadbent, the father of Jonathan Rhys Meyers. He grows up to be Tom Sturridge, so like really like everything worked out okay there. <laughs> um yeah. Lots going on. Lots going on and like and I a lot think... of like Color at the fringes, both like literally, in that like there is a lot of color to these costumes. There is like Indian influence at every turn, which I kind of love, and it seems a little bit like stereotypical that you would be like, "Oh, you get Mira Nair, so she just sort of like paints a coat of like Indian
0: um, sort of lacquer." It's a lot more subtle than that, though. Like it's enough to bring up, but like it's not. Sometimes fetishistic in the way that you know perhaps a white director would have done to that I think at times you're right I, well but again, there's the I whole appreciate all that. that. where they go to actual India which I don't know is in the novel or not yeah. because I know they, they ultimately change the ending with who she ends up with oh who
1: does she end up with in the novel
0: That I'm not sure, but I know that she does not end up with Joseph
1: Oh, interesting. At the
0: end. Joss, yeah. Joss. Um, who's the first man that she has the flirtation with.
1: Right, Amelia's brother, yes. Yes. Played by somebody, I don't know. Yes.
0: One of the you can be facially blind to him because he is less famous. That's
1: true, but he's like facially blind like Nick Frost or something like that.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um... Okay, so we're not familiar with this novel. No. I think this is one of the ones that I avoided in my AP English class where it's like you can read Vanity right. Fair, 900 pages, or you can read X Book right, of Mice and Men at, yeah. uh, at
1: a cool Ew. like 120 or whatever Mice and Men is. Yeah.
0: It's like, yes, absolutely. But yeah. the. Major complaint, at least in terms of this version of the movie, was that Becky Sharp was made more likable, and in the novel, she's apparently much more cunning and manipulative of people, her emotions are not sincere that she really expresses. Right. Um, She's a social climber. Yeah, so it's much more satirical on the page than what Mira Nair is doing. Right. Which... Is kind of a little bit of a missed opportunity because we have seen Reese Witherspoon play that before. And yeah. In a way that is some of our favorite things that she does. I'm thinking of Big Little Lies is much more recent oh, than this one. I kept thinking also of election.
1: Or Madeline McKenzie in this whole like there's a lot of Madeline in this, especially like when she's performing in the uh, Indian ballet at the towards the end. Oh I was yeah. like, oh, this is a this is the thing Madeline would have done. Like she would have like found a way to be the lead in this, and she looks so like proud of herself as she's doing it. She's it's like very good and like very um, effective on its face. This whole and then she's performing for like the fucking king of England is the other thing, mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing. Um That's one of the touches that I feel like is probably not in the book. Or if it's in the book, it's not quite so, like, overt.
0: But again, how would I know? But it feels like... Go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, to the critics that complained about this, to their point, I think there is a certain aspect of Becky Sharp in this movie that she doesn't really feel all that defined like she just feels like some woman trying to get married she's
1: trying to right elevate her status
0: well it's and like Reese Witherspoon is always wonderful to watch so it's like it's watchable but how else can you really define Becky Sharp as a character
1: no I think that's
0: true in a way that like she would have had a lot more dimension if Reese Witherspoon had gotten to play with those things because we know what she can do With somebody who is a little less sincere, someone who, uh, you know, maneuvers through social situations, sometimes not in ways that are cozy.
1: Yes, and she can play a character who's not necessarily the likable one and still be fully, like, captivating, and you still root for her anyway. Yeah, she can humanize those
0: characters. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, what's interesting is, so, like, the knock on Julian Fellows all through... Downton Abbey was—he's too enamored of the aristocracy. He's too sort of indebted to that kind of Tory style, like um, reverence for the English social class. Like even Mm -hmm. like while acknowledging that like this was a thing that was on its way out, this way of life, this way of society. There's a little bit of like a um, like an elegy for it. In Downton Abbey, where it's just, just like, oh, it's too bad we can't have this anymore. And there's a little bit of that effect in the Vanity Fair adaptation where it's you get the sense that the novel was a lot more um, you said satirical and sort mm-hmm. of disdainful of the idea of trying to social climb anyway, because like how ridiculous to want to sort of break into this strata of people who are, you know, awful and silly and losing all their money and...
0: And lying your way to do that, you know?
1: Right. And so, there you know, if, if that had been leaned upon a little more, and then you allow Becky to be a little bit of a contradictory character, she's more interesting, she's more, you know, you can let her be a little bit more sharp-edged.
0: I wish that that... Like the softening of those sharper edges of the character would have been in the service of, like, you know, a a kinder view towards what women were facing in this Mm. era. Mm. But it never really feels like it's doing that. It feels like largely the movie's just kind of a nice costume drama. But who am I to hate those movies? Right. I don't know. There is is something about the movie that is kind of toothless, which is why it's
1: even more baffling to me that it didn't get the costume nomination anyway because it seems like that was like if nothing else it was built for
0: that do we want to just jump into the costume design let's jump ahead let's jump because ahead and do that like, yeah. it feels like that's the biggest thing that like why wasn't this movie nominated in a certain way in a certain yeah. sense because like it feels like smooth sailing to it especially when you watch it because like these costumes are incredible in they're a way so that they're so colorful they pop right off of the screen there are certain
1: things also as i texted you last night every single one of these costumes is like cinched up tits out like it's very um Sexy, Like, it's, like, very self-consciously sexy in a way that I find, like, really interesting. There's a there's a trivia bit on IMDb about how Mira Nair asked for all the costumes to be, like, half a size too small. And yep. I was like, yeah, it kind of shows, because everybody's really, like, corseted up in this movie. It's quite something.
0: Well, uh, to the extent that, like, we kind of are desensitized to this kind of costume drama and the type of costume design where it's like oh, well, we're just going to predict it in this because it's a costume drama and yeah. like maybe we're not as impressed with half of those costumes yeah. I didn't feel that way about Vanity Fair at all I felt like there was a clear point of view I thought that it serviced the movie in a way that it like made it more interesting to watch yeah. it felt all cohesive it felt like you know, the sh- everything was at least presenting a vision of a period that all meshed together and It not, made like, the
1: cinematography more interesting. That shot of, of Becky, of Reese Witherspoon towards the end of the movie where she's wearing that veil with the stars embroidered on it
0: Oh, the and, famous shot that like made the trailer ten times more interesting where she's peeking through her fingers
1: Yes, looks through the, uh, her, her fingers and the, the stars on the veil make shadows on her face Mm -hmm. It's so striking and really, really gorgeous. And and I think it's a little bit indicative of the movie itself, where it's just like, I'm not sure what it's doing for the story, but it's quite something to look at. Like, it's really breathtaking.
0: Yeah, like, I'm glad that we both agree that it's actually really, really exciting, good work. And you can't even blame it on release date, because... Even I think wasn't a fair of the necklace released outside of Oscar season. It doesn't feel like costume design is one that's beholden. March movie or something like that. Yeah, like this category doesn't feel like. I'm not. I would have to maybe like do some backing up of the numbers of this, but it doesn't. This category is not locked into the actual Oscar season the way that like Best Picture might be.
1: In fact, The Duchess, which won in I want to say 2008. What year did the Duchess win, as I scroll through? Mm. Duchess won in 2008. That movie, I want to say it was released right around the same time as Vanity Fair. Yeah, release date, okay, October 10th. But still, like, not too far for, removed from that. Like, early fall.
0: Costume design just feels like it operates from different rules than a lot of other, or like, yeah. what we perceive as a rule.
1: Yeah, totally
0: much of the other Oscars. So it is I I'm still just really kind of baffled how this movie didn't at least get a costume design nomination. But then again, it didn't really get any headway for I will say Focus had the their season. hands full in 2004. Yes, which we Focus will get into.
1: Really, I mean, they really the, the degree to which they made The Old College try to get Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind top nominations is so great, is so, like, admirable. That was, a, that was a really interesting year for the two big um indie like, dependent studios, right? Where, like, mm-hmm. Focus and Searchlight. Searchlight had Sideways, and Focus had Eternal Sunshine, and neither one of them ended up winning the big prize, but, like, Sideways got, like, broke some ground in the top categories in a way that I don't think people thought it could last it could make it that far.
0: I really wonder if either of those movies could have gotten further if they were not in the same Oscar race together. Agreed. I agree. Because, because there they was were a sense for the at the same time. Narrative. Yeah. They were fighting for the same narrative because they were both comedies, even though I would say Eternal Sunshine had way more hurdles to climb through and it's yeah. Oscar tally is a little more impressive to me. Agreed. Um yeah, like they Kaufman were fighting won. for the same space that they weren't even guaranteed to begin with. That Charlie
1: Kaufman's Oscar is for that movie is i makes me so grateful for that focus was as, you know, skillful and as powerful as they were back then because like and then sideways is your adapted screenplay winner. Like that's mm-hmm. that's your testament right there. If I'm writing the movie of the 2004 Oscar race and I'm framing it around eternal sunshine and sideways like that's my ending where they each win the screenplay
0: Oscars it's a lot more interesting to talk about I think than the million dollar baby aviator conversation
1: especially in hindsight
0: yeah just because like that's all this Oscar year gets reduced to right and it was so
1: much more interesting before Scorsese had won his Oscar now once Scorsese won his departed Oscar like this Oscar race seems a lot less interesting
0: Mm mm-hmm I think people, it, it, by today's standards, take the Eternal Sunshine and Sideways thing a little bit for granted, because at the time, there was no real, I mean, maybe there was some, but, like, it felt like those were kind of impossible, and they pushed as far as they did, but, like, now they would probably have an easier go. Oh, yeah. Don't you oh, think? Oh, Totally. It's so all right, so it's let's like do our favorite. Let's it. do our favorite game
1: for two thousand four. Okay, if two thousand four were a top ten year,
0: oh, what well, are the Eternal other... Sunshine would be there.
1: So let's let's remind the listeners what was nominated. So Million Dollar Baby won that year. The other nominees in Best Picture were The Aviator, the Martin Scorsese movie The Aviator, Finding Neverland, Ray, the Jamie Fox, which won the Oscar for Jamie Fox and Best Actor, and then Sideways, and then. What else do you think goes there? Lone director nominee that year is Mike Lee for Vera Drake, which. Absolutely got, would have gotten nominated. So you're saying Vera Drake is in, you're saying Eternal Sunshine is in. Yes. What else do you got?
0: Um, I, think I would Hotel say Rwanda Hotel Rwanda. Rwanda. Yep, yeah. Yep, agreed. Um,
1: Especially because that movie was really coming on strong as that, like, that Sophie Okonado nomination was a surprise because I think a lot, like, Indicative of how much that movie was coming on strong at the end.
0: Yes, especially by actors, famously the largest branch of the Academy. I think the next one would be The Incredibles. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I almost want, like, looking back at this year, I feel like it's strange that Collateral didn't do better, but I wonder if it would be Collateral over something like Closer.
1: Yeah, I think Closer probably gets left off, even though Closer is absolutely on my Best Picture ballot for that year. I love that movie. I love those two acting nominations that it got for Clive Owen and Natalie Portman. Natalie wins that year, as far as I'm concerned.
0: But yeah, what he's... would your tenth be? Do you think it would be collateral? Because otherwise no. I think we agree on six through nine.
1: You know what I think it... Uh, I Okay, I think there is... I think if it's a 10-year, I think there is a decent or better chance... That, it's that it's The Motorcycle the passion, Diaries? The, the Passion of the Christ. Ooh! That you really made think so? so much money. And there was such an effort to not... To try and not discredit it
0: and, like, offend... But like, wasn't that effort Christians. to not discredit it it in terms of Oscar at least, wasn't it just relegated to ignore the movie, look at this craft? Yes. Which paid off for them because they got those nominations. But I don't think it was ever really discussing the movie itself as worthy. That's but, not my remember that's not how I remember that Oscar race. But that I think Oscar campaign.
1: I think if there was a top ten I think that conversation does happen.
0: Mm. Uh, that is actually fair. But I st- I I think I still ultimately I
1: mean again since it's become the 5 or more format, we've never had 10 and I people have said that like Ten is almost mathematically, impos- is mathematically right, almost right, impossible. It's mathematically almost impossible to get If this was one of those six, years I would to stick get to the nine
0: that I I have. think the
1: nine. So you get Vera Drake, Eternal Sunshine, Hotel Rwanda, The Incredibles. I think that's right. That seems very right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Let's talk about these costume design nominees because yes. to be able to like work our way back towards Vanity Fair. Because yes. what is also surprising about Vanity Fair as like a really well done costume drama. Not being nominated is that there isn't a competing costume drama, really. Like, ad- right. really, what it becomes is that the Aviator is kind of the costume drama of the movie. Or of there's this a lineup. lot
1: of there's a lot of mid 20th century here, where yeah. like Aviator like and Ray and, and then Finding
0: like- Neverland are the closest. You have Ray, and Ray. then you have your oddities, which are Lemony Snicket and Troy. And of
1: these, like Lemony Snicket like, fine. Like, that's Colleen Atwood for one thing, and it's sort of, it's fantasy in this kind of twee setting, but in a way that I kind of like. There's, I don't know, I like what she does with the costumes with that. That is not a nomination I have a problem with. I think that
0: movie, a lot of the other design elements are really in service of each other, so it's like, it's the type of thing that maybe we would be annoyed by in a, like, Fantastic beasts, but here I think it's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. I think the Aviator, which ended up winning, that was one of Sandy Powell's uh, costume design wins. Is this
0: when she and said, I already have two of these? It might
1: have been. Um, this was the year where they did those weird things where they like lined up all the nominees on stage and announced one of them or gave the Oscar in the aisles. And I can't remember if costume design. Was one of those weird things, or not? Now I would want to go back and actually give me like
0: five seconds to go look at this because I, of course, had to look it up because we do love Sandy Powell. She said, "I already have two of these <laughs> for
1: Aviator Wins costumes." Oh yeah, no, this... she would have
0: said it when she won for the Young Victoria talk about a movie that we could talk about if it wasn't for costume design nominations. So when she won
1: for the Young Victorias, when she said, I already have two of these? Yes. Okay, so yes, so this was the year they lined up all of the costume design nominees on the stage, and then one of them stepped forward when they won, when Sandy won, and everybody else had to, like, slink off the stage. It's so... embarrassing to watch. It's really gross. And not even that, but Pierce Brosnan presents the award with Edna Mode from The Incredibles, which is a pet (laughs) peeve of mine. I hate animated (laughs) characters presenting awards. I hate that RuPaul's Drag Race's only thus far win for Best Reality Competition at the Emmys was presented by fucking Rick and Morty in an animated segment. I hate it. I hate it. Awards presenters are for real people. This, This is my... I will go to the <laughs> bat for this. I'm sorry,
0: I will only allow it for Edna Mode. Quite literally. <laughs> Fine, whatever. Um, but Speaking like, what of a which, awful setup. Anyway, The Incredibles yeah. would have been a good costume design nomination. Why not? Who cares? That's a animated?
1: daring. That would have been a daring choice, and I would have supported
0: it. But like, they will never do it. But there are other Aviator like, Henry costumes.
1: Mr. Fox. I think Finding Neverland, get that out of here, I don't think Finding Neverland is Oscar-winning <laughs> in any respect. Including, that was also the year they won Best Score. We've eviscerated that movie
0: before, yeah. Uh,
1: fi- 2004 Best Score, not to like to sidetrack us even more, is so infuriating that Finding Neverland ended up winning. There are so many good scores in 2004. I had tweeted about this like months ago. We
0: both famously agree that The Village should win.
1: The Village has an amazing score.
0: Truly. And the rest of it is, like, John Williams doing the same thing for the third time for Harry Potter. How do you feel about Ray getting a costume nomination? Uh, I love Sharon Davis. I'll keep it.
1: Interesting. I love Sharon Davis, too. I don't know if... I mean, I don't think every costume nominee has to be, like, so
0: flashy. But... I don't know. I don't know if it feels very accurate to the period. I mean, yes, it's probably the least flashy of all of these nominees, but I I like Sharon Davis's work, so
1: yeah, it's gonna stay. Score possible score nominees from 2004 that didn't get nominated: Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, John Bryan, The Incredibles. Wait, was The Incredibles nominated?
0: No, it was not. All for right, Michael G. Brilliant score
1: Brilliant score for that. Um, we've talked before about the door in the floor, Marcelo Zarvo's gorgeous score for the door in the floor. Alexandre Despla's score for birth, which all y'all like fucking jizz over all the time, and it's great. It's a masterpiece. Uh, John Bryan also had I Heard Huckabee's that year, which is another great score. Huckabee's is Life the one of, he should win for. I love I love both of those scores, but like the Huckabee score is really, really the Huckabee score sounds like the Fiona Apple album, like if you listen to Extraordinary Machine, yeah. although weirdly it's not w- the would John have been Bryan recorded. version.
0: I it's, used to have the bootleg of the John Bryan one, and I can't find it anywhere. But
1: it's the one that she actually released that sounds still
0: like the Huckabee score. It's kind of weird. Yes, yes.
1: Um, Life Aquatic had a great score that year. Mark Mothersbaugh, Bad Education. If you're gonna go had a great nominating
0: if you're gonna nominate sequels. Spider Man Two has a really good one.
1: Yeah. It's a great, great, great year for movie scores, and it kills me that those were the nominees we ended up with. Finding Neverland, um, Lemony Snicket, which was fine, Passion of the Christ, which was overwrought. Um, The Village was good, but, like, honestly, that's the only one. It's crazy. Anyway, back to costumes. The Troy nomination, to me, also, is weird. The Troy
0: nomination is... It's, It's... (laughs) I remember them mounting a pretty big campaign for Troy. Because what else does Warner Brothers even have that year?
1: It just seems like your standard issue... Well, they had Million
0: Dollar Baby, but they knew they weren't getting below-the-line nominations for that.
1: Yeah. It seems like your standard issue, post-Gladiator, sword and sandals, like... Yes. ...costumes. Although I will say, if they got nominated for cutting Brad Pitt's skirt short enough that we saw all the way up to to hip bone town, then honestly I'm fine. Yep.
0: Some of the best costumes in that movie are no costumes at all. Exactly.
1: God, remember when it was Rose Byrne in those sex scenes with Brad Pitt? That those scenes are icky. Ooh
0: though That's a lot of Brad Pitt. It's a lot of Brad Pitt. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But like that was my introduction to both Rose Byrne and Diane Kruger was fucking Troy. <laughs> so weird.
0: So 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 Remember weird. they tried to get Peter O'Toole nominated
1: for Troy? They sure did. They also tried to get Julie Christie nominated from Troy. Oh. For God. her like half a second's worth of work. It's that's a movie, again, it's a costume nominee, so it's not a zero Oscar nominated movie, but like that's one worth delving into because they really tried to sell that movie hard and it almost worked. Yeah. Until it like it debuted and Anyway, made a ton of money.
0: Either way, it is fully baffling that Vanity Fair is not there.
1: Yes. Absolutely true. Should have been. Should have been a costume nominee. Maybe should have been a score nominee. That Michael Donna um Is score. beautiful. Is very beautiful. He would end up winning years later for Life of Pi. Um... But it's it's very distinctive. It's very like it's a theme. It's one of those scores where the same theme like keeps coming up again and again in like slightly different ways. But it's like I love a score like that because anytime I hear that now in like another trailer or something else, I can be like, oh right, that's the Vanity Fair score. That's the same thing with like um, that that Shawshank riff that always shows up in other things. And mm-hmm. it's just like, oh right, that's the Shawshank. The
0: Brokeback trailer. Yep, totally. There was a time before, and I want to say it was before Joe Wright, that these type of period dramas were met with an eye roll and not Mm. taken as seriously and not treated as like I I don't want to say like box office candy, but, like, there's an audience for these movies yeah. that, like, kind of... There was a Merchant Ivory backlash after the the 80s. Yes. After the early 90s. And it 90s. took, like, the mid-2000s mm-hmm. for, like, that audience to really be mobilized again, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it feels like Vanity Fair just missed that boat.
1: It also feels like the trend with costume dramas, if you wanted to be... If you wanted to get some kind of acclaim, is... You had to do what Joe Wright does in Pride and Prejudice, which you sort of like you tone it down aesthetically and you tone it up um like character wise and emotions wise you really try mm-hmm. and make the characters seem very real and very um you know open emotionally and or you do something very stylized but darker, which is what Jane Eyre did mm-hmm. when Kari Fukunaga does his version of Jane Eyre, which was like hugely critically acclaimed, ultimately doesn't get a whole lot of anything Oscar-wise, although it got the key shout-out from Meryl during her
0: Golden Globe speech that we
1: talk about all the time.
0: How about Mia Vyskovska in Jane Eyre? But, like, I guess I'm trying to rationalize a reason why Vanity Fair was dismissed as easily as it was, because I don't think it's any worse than a lot of the movies that were embraced. I don't think... I mean, maybe it's a little bit, and that's maybe it speaks a little bit to like what Joe Wright did that you just mentioned, and that it's like it's more character punchy, mm-hmm. it is less about the environment, and like that's why we, you know, took to those movies as well as we did, or at least those of us that like them. Yeah. Because I don't think Vanity Fair does those. I mentioned earlier. I feel like a lot of these characters blur together and they're hard to keep track of. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's, like, it's Becky is not really interesting. I think what that's I, the thing. I think if the lead character had been a
1: little bit more, um, interesting to hold on to, I, going into this movie, I was very, very high on this movie. I had like famously, famously such an asshole. um, Said that like, oh, this is the movie Reese Witherspoon's going to win her Oscar for. Because my whole thing was,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Hollywood loves her; they really want to make her a star. Sweet Home Alabama had already happened, and like that was the movie that made really a ton of money for me. That like, oh, they want to make her the next big thing, and and she the deserves Legally Blondes it. Legally Blonde like, had already it. happened; she's got the stuff right. Like we knew what she could do with Election. Legally Blonde had happened. Sweet Home Alabama had happened. And I was like, okay, now the next step is she stars in Oscar bait and she gets an Oscar for it. And I was like, Vanity Fair, perfect. It's a showcase, it's focus features, it's Mir Nair, who's an interesting director, and it's a costume drama, which Oscar has historically gone for. So all the ingredients are there, I'm putting all my chips on Reese for Vanity Fair, and then it, like, fully doesn't happen. Doesn't come close to happening. So then the next year, when people are like, Reese Witherspoon, she's in this movie about Johnny Cash, and I'm just like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. Like, I fool me once. Mm-hmm. Fool me once, Reese Witherspoon, spoon nod fill me twice and uh that's when it happened in a big way and i of course was very happy for it because as you know she is incredible she's and you great love and i love her i love her so much so there we go there we have it it would be less puzzling for me that vanity fair comes up empty in 2004 if this wasn't also the year that finding neverland does so well
0: yeah, because it's definitely better than finding Neverland. And finding Neverland is one of those things that's like
1: it's riding purely on reputation, it's riding purely on the star power of Johnny Depp, it's and people crying. It's no great shakes. The directing is anonymous and bland. It's you're right. I think it does. I think that's the thing. Is it plays towards this kind of tug at your heartstrings stuff that Vanity Fair doesn't play on and that's probably the difference. But like, there is nothing exciting about finding Neverland. I really, really, really don't care for that movie.
0: Maybe if Vanity Fair was funnier, which humor isn't necessarily the thing that Mira Nair does very does incredibly well, yeah, like, that's or is all point. that cons- I don't want to say concerned with, but like, yeah. that's not the thrust of her movies. If anything, it's you? like I- emotion and like a warm feeling.
1: I need to do a proper deep dive on Mira Nair because I've never seen Salam Bombay, which was her Neither have I. 1989 foreign language film nominee. And I have never seen, I've never seen uh, monsoon wedding, which I was, think you
0: would like monsoon wedding. She I won like the Venice wedding.
1: prize that year for the golden lion for mm-hmm. in Venice for monsoon wedding. I do think I would like that too. So like the first Mira Nair movie, I ever saw was the HBO movie she did, Hysterical Blindness, which was Uma Thurman, yeah. and Jenna Rollins and Juliette Lewis, which was like, I think got a bunch of Emmy nominations and was like really successful. And I was very much in the pocket for HBO at the time, so I was like very, you know, sort of eagerly. But that's an that's mm-hmm. an odd first Mira Nair movie to see, right? The I she yes. came to my attention first, weirdly enough. She is a. She's mentioned in my favorite Janine Garofalo HBO special.
0: Um, I saw The Perez Family recently, that movie The Perez Family, and I really, really liked it. Don't hiss me. Is anybody hissing or did I anticipate... You don't even know why you're hissing, but you have to. It's San Francisco. And I applaud that. Go ahead, hiss. But um, I saw The Perez Family. I really
1: enjoyed it. I like Miranera as a director. She's very good. She throws a lot of curveballs. I like that. Um... Marissa Tomei was in that movie, and she gained 20 pounds for the movie. Big hoo-ha, 20 pounds. She was, like, tipping the scales at 120 when she did that movie.
0: It was, like, this big deal. She
1: gained 20 pounds for the movie. You know what? I'm an actor, and I keep the 20 all the time.
0: I've got it right here. I'm ready to work. It's right here. Where you know.
1: But that's basically... The extent of what I knew about Mira Nair's sort of earlier stuff. And then Vanity Fair is her next movie after Hysterical Blindness. And then it's like The Namesake, and then her next big movie after The Namesake, which sort of got like overlooked. Namesake mm-hmm. is good. I think The Namesake, namesake is a really, is good
0: really movie. I like that movie.
1: Cal Penn's very good. Irfan Khan is really good in The Namesake. Love him. Um, and then her next big movie after that is like three years later. It's Amelia, which. We mm-hmm. will Which we owe will
0: nine thousand
1: percent get into. And then she makes Queen of Katwe a few years ago.
0: Which is which another is great. movie
1: that's a really good movie and like is completely left out of awards consideration for I don't know. I get I sort of get why in the year of Moonlight that Queen of Katwe seems a little bit um less forward thinking. That it feels very sort of like comfortable and cute.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very clearly a Disney, a Disney drama. Movie. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it's, like, the best version of one of those, like, Disney live-action yeah. straight dramas that, like, the whole family can see. You give me Lupita it's a really good movie,
1: and David Yellowo in a movie, and I'm there.
0: It does that thing in the post-credits where it's like, here's the actor you just saw, and here's the real person, Uh but it does it in a way that is not cloying, to me at least, in a way that I was very moved by.
1: My favorite version of that, maybe I've maybe talked about this before, but not on the podcast, my very favorite version of that is Argo, where... They go through all of the real life people and it's like Clea Duvall. And then the person who Clea Duvall played looks exactly like Clea Duvall looked in that movie. And like, (laughs) Scoot McNary. And it's like, all of these things are like, this is uncanny. And like, I'm sure the heavy lifting is done by like wigs and big collars and glasses, which was like the 1979 way. But like, it was uncanny after uncanny resemblance. So you get to then Ben Affleck, who is playing a character named Tony Mendez, who is... Partially Mexican American. His father was Mexican American and could not look less like Ben Affleck. So it really like draws this arrow to like everybody else in this movie was cast for resemblance, plausible resemblance to the characters, and then Ben Affleck is like fuck that, I'm playing Tony Mendez and not only am I playing Tony Mendez but I'm like gratuitously taking off my shirt at a key moment in this movie, and it's (laughs) like pristine Hollywood egotism at work, and it could not happen to a more apt person than Ben Affleck, so Ben, marriage has been hard work, hasn't it honey, Affleck, like I will never ever forget that Oscar speech for that Like, Like my wife? who I don't normally associate with Iran, but um, <laughs> I want to thank you for um, working on our marriage for uh, you know, uh, 10 Christmases. It's, uh, it's, it's good. It's, it is work, but it's the best kind of work. And uh, <laughs> there's no one I'd rather work with. So. Don't, call out, don't, don't call out the great Jennifer Garner in your Oscar speech, only to talk about how hard it's been to be married to
0: her. Oh, my God. Brutal. All right, what else about Vanity Fair? Can we talk about how pregnant Reese Witherspoon is in this movie? Uh, Yeah, we can. All right, Which, Sometimes... like, not to, like, downplay it. Um, famously, we can only talk about movies that Reese Witherspoon is pre- pregnant while filming. Yeah. Shout out to our rendition episode. Yes, indeed. But this movie is almost, like, comically just not hiding that she's pregnant in, like, the way that they shoot it. For most of the movie... Becky Sharp does not have a body below the shoulders.
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, parts of the movie, she's act the character is actually pregnant, though, right?
0: Ooh, uh, like maybe a scene. She
1: has she has a kid in this movie. There is one scene where she's like, astoundingly obviously pregnant, and like at yeah. some point after that, sh- there's
0: a kid. So like, I assume that scene we were supposed to be able to tell, but. There's a shot that goes like semi towards her waist and you can feel the cameraman going, Oh shit. Uh And like kind of moving the camera back. (laughs) So it's not like she's not pregnant. She's not had a child yet. It it's, it feels like the original prototype for let's hide that this actress is pregnant is Madonna in a Vita. Yes. This is the poster child for it of how they just take the easiest route to not show that she's pregnant.
1: There was um a season of scandal, the Carrie Washington show scandal, where Carrie Washington is very obviously pregnant and the character she played is very obviously could not have been pregnant on in the show, so they had to hide it. And there was one episode. It must have been like the last one they had done before breaking for hiatus and letting her have a fucking baby. But like mm-hmm. She's so they're so obviously doing every trick in the book where like she walks into the room carry like with a like stack of files that she's putting in front of her midsection she's standing in front of a vase in the oval office she's got like a pillow in front of her on the couch, and I was at that was when I was at the Atlantic wire and shout out to my friend and coworker at the time Alex Abad Santos, who I was like, alex, we're gonna do." a post on this and it's just going to be like every time they obscured her pregnant belly in this one episode and it was like 20 different gifts we did <laughs> of just sort of like it got to it was like Austin Powers level of just walking into the room and there's like a water pitcher and like somebody was moving it like as she's crossing like from one end of the room to the other it was truly impressive
0: it's like, of course, we want these actresses to keep working while they're still Absolutely. pregnant. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, okay, everybody on set needs to find more interesting ways. This is also a costume drama. Like, I get that there's corsets yeah. and stuff, but you give her some like giant dress. I don't know. Yeah, but this movie was there, not there about. There are more creative ways. That are less distracting.
1: The costume story in this movie, though, was about a lot of maybe more revealing costumes than were the actual costume at the time, but like it was obviously more, much more interesting. It's a wonderful costume movie. It's also just like the hair and the wigs in this movie is also really amazing. Where like, and they do that thing that I love where they show these sort of very rich women getting out of their hair and makeup and costuming there's that scene that i texted you about last night where i was just like i was not expecting to see uh, Eileen Atkins's rump in this movie and yet yeah. there it was truly i found you miss Eileen Atkins <laughs> 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 it's, it was that was a very funny scene she just sort of like she abruptly exits the movie about midway through when her purpose and it's a shame for disowning uh, Becky and Rawdon is um, has served and that's too bad I think we lose a lot when Eileen Atkins ex- exit this movie she's really wonderful yes but there's a lot of that there's a lot of like again like very cleavage movie very bosomy movie this movie was so there was a there was a trivia bit where Mira Nair had been hoping for Reese Witherspoon to gain a little weight for just to show up as more sort of voluptuous on screen. Mm -hmm. And then Reese no she was hoping she wasn't hoping that Reese. Like I gained a person. No, the the actual trivia item was that she wanted Reese to get pregnant. She was like, you know, she was hoping that Reese would get pregnant so that she would gain some weight and she would be more voluptuous. And then it actually like happened and then it like totally threw the production schedule off. So there was that. Hurrah. Yeah. So let's talk about focus features a little bit.
0: Yes. As we love to do.
1: I I, oh, yeah. I texted you last night. I was very sort of stressed. I'm packing for this week um, that I'm going away with my family. And I've got all this stuff to do. And I was stressed, stressed, stressed. And then I had to sit down and watch Vanity Fair. And like literally the focus features logo. The wah. It calmed me in such a quick and direct kind of way. And I was like, there is the power of of movies right there.
0: <laughs> that is, it is quite powerful. I watched this on a DVD that had one of those famous focus features reels yes, in it. Yes, yes. That was so wonderful and very period specific when they still did them. I have a challenge for you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. All right. I was about to try and
1: try and guess which one you saw, but I maybe that's what this challenge is.
0: There are eight movies that were mentioned in this reel. I will have you guess seven of them because one of them was ultimately not released by Focus Features. Do you oh. remember Winter Passing? I do. With Zoe with Deschanel and Ed Harris. Yeah. Yes. And Will Ferrell. It was in this reel, and they didn't even release the movie. That got delayed and delayed and delayed, and ultimately, yeah, they never they did they did and not release it. And then it got. Dumped, dumped for real. Dumped. All right, so you're looking for seven movies. There is one movie that, if you guess it, I will forfeit <laughs> my... Um, I will forfeit a guess on the IMDb. Oh, if you can guess this fascinating.
1: Movie. All right, so you said there's seven movies. There's seven movies and that this I need you to guess. And this was from the VHS of Vanity Fair, which means it was The post- DVD. Or the DVD, so it was... Post-904. I will give you the years of
0: these movies to like help expedite this. And yeah, what's the earliest really movie? So really, there is like you will be naming a certain slate. Uh, there is one 2004 movie, and then there are six 2005 movies.
1: Okay. So the one 2004 movie would be. Let's see. Eternal Sunshine was the spring of that year. Door on the Floor was the summer.
0: Motorcycle Diaries. Motorcycle Diaries, correct. Okay. So we're looking for six 2005 movies. All right.
1: 2005. Let's see. Let's walk through this.
0: Think about the Oscar. If you think about Oscar, you're going to get three movies.
1: So 2005 Oscars were Brokeback Mountain. Yes. That's one of them. Um... The police come for me for not getting that fast enough.
0: Um, all right, so. You're looking for a winner and a multi nominee that we have definitely mentioned on this episode. Same
1: person or two different people?
0: Uh, what do you mean, same people?
1: Are both of those clues app- applying to the same film? No. Oh, okay. So, okay, so 2005 winners. Capote Focus was features. Sony Pictures Classics. Walk the Line was
0: not Focus. Um, I believe it was 20th Century Fox.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that, or Warner's. Um, supporting that year was Syriana, which I don't believe was Focus. And Constant Gardner.
0: Constant Gardner, Oscar go. winner for Focus Features for Rachel Weisz. All right, so... Nominee, nominated, this is the one that we've definitely mentioned in this episode. Nominated for an acting category and some stuff below the line. hmm An acting category. Just the one.
1: Should have um, been two. We've mentioned it in this very episode, Pride and Prejudice.
0: Yes, Pride and Prejudice. Okay, so now we have three more titles. They are all outside of Oscar. Okay. One of them stars an actress that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. It was kind of her introduction to audiences, or one of her introductions. We mentioned her for a different movie for having a very funny haircut on a recent episode. Oh, okay. Um, is it My Summer of Love? My Summer of Love. Emily Blunt in My Summer of Love. Yes. You are now to the two hardest movies. I will help you with this one. It is headlined by an actor that we have talked about several times and his reputation for being difficult. Gary Oldman, John Cusack. Yeah. John Cusack? John Cusack.
1: Is it, um, Grace is Gone is later than that. Oh, is it that heist movie? Yes? Is it Collinwood? Welcome to Collinwood?
0: No, Wood? it took place during a certain season that might help you with the title. Oh, the winter, right? It is winter, but it is not in the title. What, what falls from the sky in winter that is not snow? Hail, sleet, ice ice ice, the ice, yes, harvest. The ice, harvest okay this last one if you can get this i will give you a few hints and i'm not going to torture you but it is so funny to me that it was in this in the focus reel it didn't even make a hundred thousand dollars
1: wait can stars, I stars can i guess is it did yes. it star uh acting nominee from 2004
0: um no. no
1: i thought it was the don cheadle one um what was that one called? Replace the radio DJ. Talk to me. Talk to me.
0: That was later. That was later. Okay. This stars James McAvoy in the craziest hair. He looks like he's from some 41. Is this Penelope? No. No. Yeah. Oh no! This is he um, plays a man with terrible. Yes, I know what this is.
1: This is um, shit. I liked this movie. It was
0: also starring an actress from Vanity Fair, Rama Gary. Gary. Yeah.
1: Oh, what was this called? I remember this movie. Um, it was around the time that he did Starter for Ten, but it wasn't Starter for Ten. It was. If you can get this
0: title, I will sacrifice.
1: It's a, the person's name is in the title, right? Yes. Oh, what was the name? It's like this very British-Irish-sounding Very name. British name. Right? It's like Colin something, no.
0: or... Um... There's an O in it. I will give you <laughs> first name, O last name.
1: Oh, first of all, first name, O last name is very funny. Um, oh, it's O'Shea. Rory O'Shea was here.
0: Oh my god, Rory O'Shea was here! Yes. Yes. Congratulations. I told you I remembered that movie. Can you imagine, this is why we love those focus reels, because it would put things like Oscar winner The Motorcycle Diaries, yep. very serious, very brooding, next to Rory O'Shea was here. I remember that movie. A movie that does not exist. <laughs>
1: Something of something. Yes. Thank you. That was a very fun little quiz. First name oh, last name. I will say I've never seen The Ice Harvest. That's the only movie of all of those that I never saw was The Ice Harvest. All saw, of them else saw I saw Rory because Rory Features was here. had a customer in me. I will they will they got me.
0: They got me gal. They got me gal.
1: <laughs> Alright, what else about Vanity Fair can we talk about? The the reviews were
0: pretty mixed. It didn't Flash make a whole lot of money. Politely negative, yeah. Like it, I don't understand opening this movie wide on Labor Day unless you think that it's going to bomb. But then, if you think it's going to bomb, why do you take it to the Venice Film Festival to compete in competition the week right. before? Right. I, I'm very confused. Like you said, Focus had a lot going on this year. Sometimes this clearly wasn't their priority. Sometimes I suspect,
1: and I suspect this in Toronto too, that some of these movies that are opening in September go for these fall festivals so that they can have a premiere that they don't have to pay for. That's fair. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that seems very nickel and dimey, but, like, if you think, like, you want to get the most bang for your buck, like,
0: press wise. But you imagine they have to fly, like, their stars and their creative yeah. team true. out there. That's still. true.
1: That's true. Maybe it maybe it comes out in the wash. I don't know. I really don't. Did you know that the London Critics the London Film Critics Circle nominated Eileen Atkins for their their British supporting actress of the year?
0: It's a smart choice. That's a this is a good supporting actress here, but that's a that's a great choice. She's wonderful in this movie. She lost Probably to, the best performance in the movie. Alright, hold on. British supporting
1: actress of the year. She lost to Wow. This is quite the coincidence. Lost to Ramela Gary for Rory O'Shea was here so ah, ah. it's all coming up oh roses for you right now also nominated Ruth Sheen not for Vanity Fair but for Vera Drake Emily Woof Emily Woof is her name for a movie called sure. Wondrous Oblivion and the coup de gras: mini driver for the Phantom of the Opera
0: get out of here I Just will not get out I won't Wow! so much
1: going on there so 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 much going on there
0: that's that category is wild. Is wild is wild as hell. When the least like wild thing about the category is Ruth Sheen for Vera Drake. Uh-huh. It's almost like her presence there for that very very depressing dower movie is almost like a self-parody of like you have to have the depressing thing there.
1: Yeah. But truly, 3 of the stars of Vanity Fair were nominated that year, only one of them for Vanity Fair plus Minnie Driver for The Phantom of the Opera. Oh my god. That's wild. That's a movie we have to like figure out a way to talk about because despite the nominations, that is truly a that was not that was buzzed for best picture by some of the loudest voices in the room. Do you talk about like mm-hmm. to paraphrase that title. It is and it was not a best picture nominee, decidedly.
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Do you want to talk it's about weird IMDb to be- game? Yes! Tell our listeners what the IMDb game is. Why not?
1: Every week with the IMDb game we end our episode talking about actors and the movies that they were in. We challenge each other with the name of an actor or actress and then try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are TV work or voiceovers, we mention that up front. It's only fair. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints so that we get things right instead of wandering in the desert of our own oblivion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The MTV game. Yes. We like it. We do. Joseph, would you like to guess or give first? Why don't I guess first? Okay. Alright then, I have for you, looping back into that year's Oscar race, I, chosen for you, that year's Best Actress winner, Miss Hilary Aswank. Also, from Mira Nair's Amelia. I'm guessing that Amelia is not one of them. I'm surprised (laughs) that you would think that Amelia has does not have the cultural impact to show up on imdb's elusive algorithm but that is a correct guess
1: (laughs) so million dollar baby's got to be one of
0: them uh yes million dollar baby okay um
1: all right boys don't cry yes hillary 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 okay now, like, what are the bigger things she's been in? Like... Uh, this is probably going to be wrong, but the director is a very popular one with this demographic. Uh, Insomnia.
0: No, Insomnia, I am very surprised, is not on her list. Christopher Nolan's Insomnia. Right. Oh, All right, I'm just...
1: I'm like only forty sixty on this one, but I'm gonna guess it anyway. Um, oh wait, what is it? the sister? No, not the sisters. Brothers. What was the one? Um, the the one about the brothers and the race the race car heist. You
0: know what I'm talking about? Um. Oh yeah, Logan Lucky. Logan I Lucky. The unlucky. She's good in Logan Lucky. But yeah. No.
1: Is she? Wait. Is she good in Logan Lucky?
0: I. I mean. I think I. It's funny when it, so she shows c- up. I like Hillary Swank bureaucratic villain. Okay, I gotta say she's gonna be the villain in the Hunt. This movie, the Craig Zobel. Oh, movie I know, I've seen that trailer with Betty Gilpin. With Betty Gilpin, yeah. I like Hillary Swank as a bureaucrat villain. I think I, gotta I say. think that one's gonna be a Toronto in the
1: Midnight Madness program. We'll already I hope know so. that. We'll by find the time. out this week. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Okay, so two strikes.
0: Yes. So your years for both of these are actually the same year. It's two thousand seven. After both Oscar wins.
1: After both Oscar wins. 2007. I had. Adju- well, that was If a it year helps you, I remember City.
0: these movies bookending the year she had. One oh, of these was January, one of them and one was, was December. Yes,
1: one of them was January, and it was Freedom Writers. Freedom Writers. And then one of them you said was what year? What month? December. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oscar bait?
0: no there was like i think the fear that it was like oh god hillary swank a third time but no no no. this was not the intention of this movie okay so
1: it's a movie that like genre-wise it wasn't like a horror movie
0: no has
1: she done a horror movie
0: Definitely. She did, um, God, what was it called? Not the, the invasions to Cole Kidman, the reaping, yeah. the reaping. Never saw that, but you're right. Um, I saw it. It's bad, but it's fun.
1: Oh, I know what this is. This is, um, a, a romance. Yes. It's PS. I love you.
0: It is PS. I love you. Yeah. I can't imagine. It's not a horror movie, but I can't imagine anything more terrifying than the ghost of Jared Butler in my house. <laughs> Get out of my house, Jared Butler.
1: Oh my god. Alright, that wasn't so bad. I did okay. It
0: wasn't so bad. You did a great job. Okay, so I'm sacrificing something for my IMDb score.
1: Oh, right, because I got that one right. Alright, so you you only get one strike. Alright. Alright. So, I'm also picking from Mira Nair's Amelia. The woman who played Eleanor Roosevelt in Amelia... Um okay. Miss Cherry Jones.
0: <gasps> Cherry Jones. Yes. I love her. Amen. Um we do love Cherry Jones. Cherry Jones, soon to be seen in
1: HBO's Succession. She's on this new season of Succession. Famously
0: saw her on Broadway in Doubt. It was life changing. We will
1: also be seeing her when we see Motherless Brooklyn, perhaps at tips. Really? Well I mean we I guess see. that's
0: not a surprise. Yeah. Cherry Jones, who we talked about in our I Saw the Light episode. Cherry Jones, who I am buying time because you You gave me something very, very difficult. Um, I'm just going to go with... No TV, by the way. She did multiple M. Night Shyamalan movies. I'm going to guess those. Signs and The Village. Correct, times two. Well done. Sweet. Signs is her best film role. Like,
1: Signs... She's is, really good. That scene,
0: she has to tell Mel Gibson that his wife is dead. Well, is, is gonna die. She picture
1: of decency in that movie. She is everything she needs
0: to be. She's so, so good. And you said there's no TV. Right. Because she's, ha- she's had Emmy nominations. Um, she was on ooh, 24.
1: Boy. She played the president on 24. She won an
0: Emmy for that, which is, like, wild. She's gotta be, like, 20th build, but Aaron Brockovich? No, although that's a good guess.
1: Okay, because it's twentieth build, but it's a featured scene. Yeah, where she's like she's, she's really she's good in that scene. Crack.
0: Yeah, well, and she the where she talks about how well she was also the first one too to report things, right? And she talks about how Children's Services was called to her house because they yes. thought that their kids were being abused. Yes. Yeah. Yep. All right. What are my years?
1: Your years are 2000 and 2004
0: Oh. I don't think years are helpful on Cherry Jones. One
1: of these is a movie we talked about literally when we recorded our last podcast. We talked about this particular part of this movie. I just never named her specifically.
0: I feel like we talked about a bunch of movies. Was that an Adam Sandler movie? No. Oh, wait. No, it was two podcasts ago. I just
1: listened to it yesterday because I was doing the
0: post-production. Right. Um, trying to think about what we talked about in that episode. Who's one of the stars of that movie? Penelope Cruz, no. Matt Damon. Yes. Oh, okay. So it's Matt Damon. Yeah. A Matt Damon movie. There's a lot
1: other. A is lot she of, in The Martian? No. There's a lot of other things happening in this movie, but she's in the part with Matt Damon that I think is really good. She sort of shows up near the end.
0: That sounds crazy. I'm just gonna start guessing, Matt. Damon movies, because I don't remember that record. Okay. Um, was it? Ta- she's not in *Talented Miss Ripley*. That I know. Nope. Um. Oh, so this is a movie you don't like, but you like this part of this movie. Correct. Is it an *Oceans* movie? Yes. Is it Ocean's Eleven? Nope, she's not in Ocean's Eleven. Twelve.
1: Yes. Do you remember she shows up at the end of Ocean's Twelve as his mom?
0: No, I don't remember that, but that is wild. She's great. She's really, really great.
1: All right, so your last one is 2000. I will admit I don't remember her specifically in this movie, but, like, I can see how she would fit in this movie. And... um. I should see this movie again.
0: Hmm. It's I mean, most of the movies she's in, it makes complete sense that she's in the movie.
1: Like, yeah. Like once you see that, like, oh, I know exactly who she is, she's probably what like she's one of like the townspeople. This was a double Oscar nominee. Yeah. It did not win either one of those. They're both tech nominations.
0: Okay. In two thousand, so that's the gladiator year. Yes. Are the tech nominations, I'm going to assume because she's like a townsperson, that it is either like a thriller or a, an action movie, probably. Yeah. From 2000. A
1: very specific type of action
0: movie. Okay. I'm trying to remember what. Is it The Patriot? She's in The Patriot. I don't think she is, but if
1: she, even if she is, it's not one of them. But, like, go with that like stick stick with that
0: perhaps opening weekend oh the same opening weekend yes that opened like Memorial Day I'm pretty sure it was the same opening weekend mm, I will double check mm, was this even no this had to have been nominated for uh, like visual effects is it the perfect storm it's the perfect storm it makes absolute sense that Cherry Jones is in that movie.
1: I remember at the time being very invested in the perfect storm doing better than the Patriot because I wanted Mel Gibson to not be the winner of that particular face off. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking per- to
0: see. What's I have like this weird trigger response to because I am not about to look up The Perfect Storm because for some reason that poster is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I is. never like looking at it. The poster for A Perfect Storm. Oh, with the wave? Yes. Yeah. And like the dark clouds, like it looks like something evil is going to come over that way. I can't. I can't do it. I can't.
1: So the Perfect Storm decidedly beat the Patriot as they both opened opposite each other and also opposite The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle on July Fourth weekend, two thousand. Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Perfect Storm opened with forty one million. The Patriot only twenty two. Perfect Storm ended up with one hundred and eighty two million that year. The Patriot only. $113 113 million. So truly um, good question mark in that we define good as the Mark Wahlberg movie beats the Mel Ew. Gibson, Roland Emmerich movie. Listen, okay. I'll ride for Wolfgang Peterson and George Clooney and Diane Lane. That's true. And Sherry Jones. Diane
0: Lane. Diane Lane, famously of the looking out windows universe, that she uh, towards the ocean, like she also does this year in Serenity.
1: Oh, have you seen yeah. Serenity? Of course, I have. Yes.
0: Oh my God, Diane Lane is the most insane thing of a movie where quite literally everything in the movie is insane. Diane Lane playing
1: everything, playing Ava Gardner in Night of the Iguana.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes. I've seen that movie.
1: So, yeah, so the townies in the, A Perfect Storm are played by uh, Diane Lane, Mary Elizabeth Antonio, Karen Allen, Cherry Jones, um, who's, I'm pretty sure, now maybe I'm less sure, I thought she played maybe Diane Lane's mother, but maybe not, maybe she's not old enough at that point. Anyway, yeah. like, it's like the most, like, it's just a cornucopia of character actresses and actors it's great truly great I should watch that movie again alright what else that's it that's our show
0: and that's our episode if you want more of this head oscar buzz you can check out our tumblr at this head oscar please also follow our twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz joe please tell our listeners where they can find more of you and your work sure you can find me on twitter i'm at joe reed reed is spelled r-e-i-d you can find me on
1: letterboxd where i am also at joe reed reed spelled very much the same
0: and I am on Twitter at Crispy File, that's F-E-I-L, also on Letterboxd under the same name, and writing regularly at The Film Experience. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please don't hide us like your baby bump. Get this little podcast out of its corset and into more ears. That's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. That's You never satisfy.